oh my goodness, my mom decided to move to Hampton Roads after she retires, and I think she thinks I'm her personal realtor. Oh my gosh. Well, you need to talk to my friend Erin Ward at HRVA Keller Williams at Town Center. She's a great person, and you don't have to worry about her bias showing up. Okay, well, does she have everything on the list? What's the list? Okay, so a great realtor listens. Does she listen? Absolutely. Does she care about her clients? Oh, 100%. And does she, like, know Hampton Roads? Yes. Okay, well, then maybe we should give Erin a try. Absolutely. Honestly, I would recommend Erin Ward to anyone. Oh, well, those books are kind of niche. Oh, God. I said, oh, my culture niche now? <laughs> Do you agree with it? I really, um, like, I'm trying agree to agree with just, just the call that if you are black, white people owe you money. <laughs> I don't think there's a such thing as my kids being too woke. Yeah. Right? So I can't undo where I grew up. I can't undo that. And I can't, I'm not going to feel bad for it. You're listening to Your Neighbor's Hood, a podcast for uncomfortable culture conversations, specifically about race. Do your thing, Christina and Jackie. Hello, hello. It is Jackie with another episode I know been so long been missing your listeners you'll know that if you know Anita Baker I love her but if you don't know who we are what we do we're new to the podcast we are your neighborhood where we have uncomfortable culture conversations specifically about race we are moving forward getting closer to history and keeping our minds open, working our empathy muscles. So we are pulling this one from the vault. So we miss you guys very much. So we are so happy to be back in the neighborhood. As always, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be my <laughs> Be my neighbor. So what's good in my hood? Summer is among us. So the citizens are home which makes a life a little crazy, but I think it's more organized than the school year. It's been such a great uh, ride. We had a show at the MOCA, which is the Museum of Contemporary Art in Virginia Beach, which was absolutely phenomenal. We had a beautiful, amazing panel, and it was absolutely amazing. If you don't know, here in the Hampton Roads area, there was a mass shooting where a dozen people were killed and the mocha really took the opportunity to be of service and give back the best way that they know how through the museum and we had a moment of silence for all of those that were lost and all of those that are grieving and dealing with their trauma what they've also done is they've made the museum free for the month of june so you've got a couple more days if you're in the hampton roads area just to go to the museum and enjoy art this is definitely an exhibit that connects us to history it's entitled the rest of history so it's a great opportunity to get out and maybe let art brighten up your life or make you think a little bit but we're grateful for the opportunity to just be a part of their their panel. Shout out to my mom and my grandma for just being amazing women. I think this past these past couple weeks they've been really just carrying me along and and I'm looking forward to doing another episode with my grandmother and hopefully eventually my mother. But right now um, we've got an amazing episode. We got the opportunity uh, about a month ago to speak with a artist by the name of John Raymond Morales. 
um, on his neighbor project and his bi white privilege project. It was a phenomenal interview as I listened back to all the ways that he connected art to activism and to social justice. I think you guys will thoroughly enjoy this. Um, there's there's a lot that goes into it that can be said when public art is used intentionally. And that's one thing I hope my city does or starts to do more on a social justice side of things. It's not just a pretty thing, but it can be something that helps us heal, helps us work together, helps us grow together. So you guys are going to be dropping in on this conversation with John as he tells us a little bit about himself and about his project and what it has done for him, what it means and his journey through the life of being an artist. Hope you guys enjoy. So who the heck are you? <laughs> I'm John Raymond Morales, and I'm an artist. I live in San Diego. Uh, the past couple of years, though, I, I was living in New York. So now I'm, I'm back in, in San Diego, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. So tell us about this Neighbors Project. Yes. Like, like what is it? So for our listeners that don't know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the Neighbors Project is um, it's a series of portraits that I've, I've done. Uh, of people from all 50 states. I've been to every state in the country and photographing Americans. And really my goal is to photograph the broad range of America, you know, who, instead of focusing on just a narrow niche, really try and look at who we are as a country. You know, that means photographing farmers in Iowa and black people in south side of Chicago and uh, Cubans in Florida and native Hawaiians in Hawaii. I mean, everybody in between. People who are, are, are of upper income and people who are of lower income. And then bring everybody together um, through my exhibitions. I, I kind of came into this, you know, projects sort of, they're never born like fully grown up. They, they take time. We get that. <laughs> sure. And this project started when I moved into a, a house in my neighborhood in Logan Heights. And I began to photograph my neighbors, literally. Uh, and then I had this fence that I had built. And I put the photos on the fence. And I put them larger than life. You know, big four foot by five foot portraits on my fence. And I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, it's just like I, I sat outside uh, on the driveway with my assistant and uh, it was nighttime and we put a few up and I was like, what's the response going to be? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and people would come by and they're like, oh, this is really cool. You know, and, and we're sitting out there just drinking a couple of beers, like a couple of hicks and and uh, and just engaging with people. And and uh, it was really great to see the response from the community. You people enjoyed the photos, but they also, so my neighborhood is, um, now I would say it's primarily Latino, uh, Mexican-American, uh, Chicano, however you want to say it. Uh, but it's, before that it was black. So it's, it's a neighborhood in transition that uh, maybe 30 years ago was primarily black and now is, is more Hispanic. And, and it's, it's one of those forgotten neighborhoods, uh, forgotten in, the context of the larger city because it's not white and it's lower income. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, photographing my neighbors and, and putting them larger than life on my fence, it, uh, it validated them. You know, they, the, the people in the photos 
And by extension, the community felt validated by this, like somebody is actually recognizing them. And uh, so that was really rewarding, and I, I received a lot of press for that. And then that led to, I actually was rejected by various um, college MFA programs, you know, Master of Fine Art programs. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, what can I do instead? And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go to every state in the country. I'm going to take, take this project across the country. And I did that. And, um, you know, so I'm still, uh, still photographing. It, it's taken several years to do it. Sounds like you say, you know what, I'm going to take a vacation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I call it a vacation, you know. I know, I know. It's, it's more like being in a band where, you know, every day you wake up in a different city and you're driving. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I had a lot of press, so I was going from a, a TV interview to a, a newspaper interview. It was like, okay, we got to be there by like eight in the morning, so we're driving all night. So I learned from that. But um, it's been a really great learning experience. You know, my work, I exhibited it in Manhattan, in lower Manhattan, in the, the East Village of Manhattan on Houston Street, which is one of the busiest streets in the city. And uh, it was really exciting to, to see the response of, of, of people and just see how people engage with it. Just Because these are all public installations that I do, so you don't have to go to a museum. And that was something that was really important to me early on is that, you know, so much of what happens with art especially street art, is that it's taken out on the streets, often of people in, you know, low income or disadvantaged positions, and then it's put up in a gallery somewhere yeah. where those people never get to see it. So I wanted to put it in the neighborhood where the people, you know, could see it, like, you know, bring it back to the community. So people in this community don't typically go to the local museums or, or the, the white wall galleries. So by having the work in a space where they live, you know, there's this interactivity with it that might not exist with other work. So I did the same thing in New York. I, I was commissioned by the Anchorage Museum in, in Alaska to, to take this project there. And we had a beautiful exhibition inside the gallery, but then we also took it in, out into one of the, the uh, lower income communities where I photographed and had it on a fence there. So, you know, bringing the work out in public you know, that's really a, a key part of this project, but it's also helped to drive some of the other work that I'm doing as well. It's kind of opened the doors for me mentally to just take everything back into the public sphere. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. What impact have you seen it having on your community? Yeah. It's hard to measure that, right? It, no, it, I, I'm just an artist. I put the work out there. Boo, uh, you can't say that. Boo. <laughs> I'm just an artist. We don't do those things. I'm, 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 not, I'm not a nonprofit that, that might have, you know, kind of a larger sort of infrastructure and measurable goals. Right, right, right. And, you know, I, ultimately, I'm, I'm creating artwork. And I put it out there. And I let others judge. And sometimes I face the consequences of putting my art out there. Uh, be they good or bad. But, you know, I mean, people see it. And and it was great when I did the work, work when I first did my neighbor's project here in San Diego. My neighbors were like, hey, John, you know, and they waved to me. And I'm like, I have no idea who that is. No. <laughs> but they knew who I was, you know, so I was connecting with them. Yeah. Obviously, the work was connecting with the, the community. Um, so it sounds like you just said your measurable success is that that people you you connected people to right. you, you gave them a place start conversation yeah too. yeah and it looks like yeah, 
Well, and part of what I did, it, so for that first installation, I had a party at my place wow. and I invited people from outside the neighborhood. And, you know, so where I live here, uh, you know, there's a black community that if you live outside the neighborhood, you wouldn't even know it existed. If you're a white person living in San Diego, you just vaguely have an idea that there are some black people that live in a part of San Diego that you never go to. Yeah, like Lemon Grove and... And, and, and there's no connection. You know, if you're a white person in San Diego, you probably don't know a black person. Uh, you might interact with some Chicano. Is that, uh, speak to that? That's crazy. Well, that's, that's, that's you know, that's most of America. That's, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, so, but what I wanted to do is break that down and use art as a platform or as a mechanism oh, for doing that. So yeah. I, I you know, I have white privilege, and so using that white privilege was able to reach out to uh, the media community and reach out and bring white people into this neighborhood and then invite my neighbors, who are people of color, to this event, to my opening event, and then actually not just, you know, create art about, um, you know, issues of race, but use art as a form of integration, integrating, you know, people from outside the community with the community, getting to know the community so that they don't just come in and say, well, hey, John, am I going to get mugged if I, if I go to your neighborhood? Right. Yeah, because you don't think about that when you, you're going. That's true, because so I feel like um, I know, as a, I love museums, I love um, art, and that people, when they are going to appreciate art, they don't think about where it is. It can be graffiti in a bad, you know, I think I think about the mural in New York of Biggie. Like, people don't think about where that is. Sometimes they, you just go to see it because there's a whole level of appreciation for that sort of vehicle to enjoy. So it doesn't really have, while it does have a class on it as far as who buys it, but there's appreciation can come from all walks of life. And we can all look at art and appreciate it together. Yeah. That's, that's powerful, John. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, people, like, using art as a way to bring people together mm-hmm. yeah. um, and, and to make you know, to serve a larger social purpose. That's really, that's really central to, uh, to my art. You know, I like making pretty photos. I like making pretty things. Um, but that's kind of easy. You know, it's like, all right. I mean, I've, I've been a photographer for years and I know what it takes to make a good looking photo. I can do that. It's not that hard. But what is a challenge for me is then how do I make art that serves a larger social purpose? You mentioned your white privilege. Yeah, I was just going to bring that <laughs> yeah, up. Go ahead. Yeah, you mentioned your white privilege. Can you speak to the project you're doing with it? And then I actually would like to hear, how did you figure out you had white privilege? Yeah. You know, because I think that's always an interesting story for white people, you know. Well, white privilege, uh, white privilege is a very interesting thing. And I've been, I'm certainly no... Uh, no expert on it, you know, in any yeah. academic sense. But, you know, white privilege is something that we white people have and we're not conscious of it. And right. that's part of the privilege of white privilege right. is having it without knowing it. I, can, I think of white privilege like air. We, we need air to breathe and we breathe it all the time. But if I tell you, think about your breathing, now you're like, <laughs> I mean, you think about my breathing and I'm controlling it. It takes work, right? You've, air becomes more valuable when you're deprived of it, right? If I were to deprive you of air, it would be very valuable in a hurry. So once 
just becoming aware of air makes you think about it and you have to now regulate it and it, it becomes an irritant. It becomes like, a, you know, you've lost that privilege you have with air and white privilege is the same thing. Once you're made aware of white privilege, now you have to think about it. And part of the privilege of white privilege is not having to think about it. So even making white people aware of white privilege is a diminution of white privilege. Wow. So it's a very, it's, it's, it's a fraught uh, topic of conversation with white people because even talking about it is, reduces their level of privilege. And, and again, just like air, when you take it away, it becomes all the more valuable. So how did I become aware of it? Um, you know, I think uh, one of the great things about social media is, uh, you know, hearing about interactions, uh, you know, such as Barbecue Betty, the woman who oh, yeah. in, in Oakland, um, yeah. you know, told the, the black people, hey, you don't have a permit to have a barbecue here. Uh, hearing about, um, you know, the, uh, the violence by police towards people of, of color, primarily black people. Um, and, you know, so you, 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 I think prior to the advent of Facebook and other social media, I was not aware of it as a concept. But through that, you know, having black friends who talk about it and then press that brings it up, becoming aware of it and then thinking about it, um, you know, it, it, it's a process. And the more I think about it, the more I, I reflect on it and really realize how central it is to, um, you know, to, to, to being white in our, our, our lives and the differences between people of color and people not of color. And for me, so for the listeners out there, uh, I'm white and I have white privilege. Uh, my mother's from Argentina, my father's from New Mexico, and Mexican-Americans from New Mexico are referred to as Hispanos. Mm. And it's a very long culture. The original, uh, uh, my grandmother's side of Mateas, and the, the first Teas came to New Mexico in 1625. Mm. So hundreds of years of living in New Mexico. Uh, but there, and there was a lot of racism up until, you know, the mid-century. And my father left New Mexico because it was so racist. Wow. And he knew he was never going to get anywhere. And so that's my own family history. But when people look at me, they just see a white guy. And, mm -hmm. and I have had all the privileges of being white. And I've, when I was younger, sort of denounced my own Chicano colored heritage because, you know, I grew up amongst white people. And to be Mexican was to be lazy. It was to be a beaner. So I really, out of ignorance, but, you know, betrayed my own roots. Yeah. And as an adult now, it's like, okay, well, how do I embrace them? And then how do I use my, my privilege to sort of en enhance the culture that I come from? And, yeah. And wow. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about your project, your store. I thought that's so fascinating. Yeah. Let me tell you. Uh -huh. Eyebrows up. Somebody posted something about something that happened in Oakland, you know, and I think it was, again, a situation where a black person uh, was treated uh, negatively, differently because they were black. You know, it was pretty obvious. It would not have happened to a white person. And, you know, so I, I constantly am thinking about ideas and, 
And I had this idea like, well, you know, just jokingly, what if there was a white privilege card that a black person could show to a person of authority, a cop, whomever, and say, when they're being harassed, say, it's okay, officer, I have white privilege. <laughs> and I just had this, like, it was kind of a joke, ha-ha. And then I thought, well, what if I, what if I actually do that, you know, and make that an art project? And so I did it, and uh, I, I showed it to a, a few black friends, and they, they got it. They loved it. They were like, you know, wow, this is amazing. And then um, it was really interesting. I went to New York, and was looking for maybe a gallery or somebody who could help me kind of bring this out to a larger public. And I remember sharing it to a white uh, gallery director. And it was like I had handed him like a hot burning coal, you know, like a, a hot poker. He was just like, he would not touch it. He was like, no, 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 no. You know, this, uh, they, you just didn't know what to make of it. It was too scary a concept. Mm -hmm. um, so I let it die. And, and then I was actually at Gay Pride uh, in New York. And it's kind of a long story, but I ended up meeting these two young women, uh, black, uh, and we started hanging out. And then their friends started hanging out. And so I, I pulled, I would carry a copy of this card in my wallet. And so I was with maybe, you know, 10 young black women, uh, mostly lesbian. And, uh, and I, I showed them the card and they were, they flipped. <laughs> they were like, oh my God, look at this. And they started handing it to each other and then taking photos and Instagramming it. I mean, that thing went viral faster than anything I've ever seen in history. And I was like, wow, the power of this, you know? So it kind of got me thinking, okay, I, and, and this, it had been a couple of years since I had made the card. And so I thought, okay, you know what I should do is I should make a store that sells white privilege. And then started trying to think like, how can I do this? When I came back to San Diego, uh, after being in New York, I um, met with two guys who, who do something in San Diego called Black Expression. Mm -hmm. And it's an open mic night um, uh, for the black community. And they loved the idea. And so we collaborated um, and uh, decided to open up a store. Uh, together we came up with the concepts for the window treatment where there's the, the black man and woman with the realtor and they're getting handed the key. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, like to the to the house and and young black man smiling with the cop, you know, with you know he's wearing a hoodie and you know just kind of turning these things on their head. So so they helped put it together and they they brought in uh, because they were tied in. They they had a large following through their open mic night. We just put a little bit of word out there on social media. The first day was a little slow, and the second day we had a line the full day. We were just packed nonstop and get to, to slow down. Just giving out white privilege. It sounds like an episode of In Living Color. It, it kind of, well, you know what's really so. I thought it was going to be kind of a protest, and it, what it was was a celebration because I would hand out the card and I would put it out in my hands, and I, I would. I would say, uh, you know, welcome to white privilege. And I would bow. Shut up. Hold it with open hands. And they would take it. And people would tell me time after time, I've been waiting my whole life for this. And there was a, you know, there's kind of a, there, there's a joke to it, but there's Some under any humor is a truth. Mm -hmm. And so there was a real truth. And there was some emotional moments in there where I, I was almost crying just because of the power of the moment. And so it was, 
it was, uh, you know, I, it was a moment of celebration for the people that, that engaged, took part in it. And that for me was, you know, it was, it was really, it was at the end of it, I just felt, uh, it was a very emotional thing. The whole, the, like, you know, I was a little bit emotionally, like, kind of spent because I had been giving of myself, but also just felt really full because people had been so kind of gratified by it. So how much does white privilege cost? Well, uh, we charge a minimum of a dollar. For our next installation, it's going to go up because it, there are significant, significant costs to put this on. It'll probably cost like five, ten dollars You know, we, we let people donate whatever they feel comfortable with as well. So we have a su suggested donation. and then. But the thing is, white privilege is not free. We do not give it out. You got to pay for it. <laughs> got to pay for it. There's a there's a price for it. There's a price for it. Where wow. else are you going to be doing this white privilege? Where else? Where can we find white privilege at? Where can we go buy? Well, so we're working on doing it in San Diego. Um, uh, I think the last week of May, and then we're hopefully going to bring it to Los Angeles. Wow. We're still working on the details. You know, one of the challenges about doing this kind of art is that. You do step on toes. Yeah. I mean, white people get upset. I'm not too worried about them, but then black people get upset too. And those are the people we need to kind of pay more attention to. There's politics of, of race are multidimensional. Let's just yeah. say that. So, you know, we, we had a place picked out in LA and then the local, some of the locals from the black community found out about it. And they uh, kind of squawked. And so the, the owner of the place said, no, we can't do it there. So now we've kind of had to find an alternative location. But we're trying to also reach out and engage with the community. Right. Because, you know, I, I think a lot, especially when you, one of the challenges of working with communities with uh, people of color, um, you know, people can be very protective over what they have. Mm -hmm. And so even if you are doing something that might, be positive if you don't if they don't feel like they have some sense of ownership or buy into this to the process it's very easy to get pushback from the community no it just you know kind of understanding the dynamics at work um it's it's much easier to do pretty art than to do art that's engaged with the community especially if you're not in and of that community yep yeah i could see how like i'm listening to what you're saying i could see how like there would be groups that would be like, this is hilarious. But then you would have some very more serious groups like, this is not a joke. This is serious. That well, it's not a joke. It's, yeah, it's not. Really yeah. We make it very clear. It, it, we're using humor and irony yeah. to address a serious topic. And so, you know, we had a couple white guys come in and they wanted a white privilege card. And we're like, sorry, you can't get one. You already have white privilege. You don't need a white privilege card. Like, well, we just want a card. This is all just a big joke, right? You know, so ha-ha. It's like, no, it may be, there may be humor, but this is not a joke. Understanding the nuance is, uh, you know, it's, it's part of, uh, of the process. And part what we do also is there's an education process that we're, we're bringing in. So when people come in, we use, for example, the couple with the, um, in front of the, the, the for sale sign who just received the key to the house. We talk about the reality behind that, that photo, that ad, that you know, redlining was created by the Federal Housing Administration that said, okay, you cannot give loans, or we, you, know, the, you bankers cannot give loans to areas within these red lines. And those areas were all black. So redlining was a very real 
government policy that uh, has dramatically impacted the distribution of wealth in this country. So, you know, there's kind of a joking quality to it, but behind it is a very, very real topic that impacts the lives of uh, black Americans and has helped to create the segregation that, that we have in place today. And, and one of the things I'm studying right now is, is gentrification. And gentrification is a direct result of those policies. Right. So these are, you know, these are bigger issues. And, and these are the issues that I really, I try and, and address with my art. Can you speak to some of the more image, some of the images that are on the cards? Like tell our, you know, because people listen. So just tell us what else you have on the cards. Some uh, on, on the white privilege yeah. card? Or yeah. Well, it's a card. What does it have? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so uh, I guess, yeah, without any visuals, it doesn't make any sense. Well, so the white privilege card is like an identification card okay. uh, that you receive maybe from school. It has your picture ID. It has, uh, uh, has white privilege card on the top and um, it has identifying information. We don't actually use real information because we don't want – because we do post these on social media and we don't want right. someone's actual date of birth – attached there. Uh, and then we give them an address, which is in like a white upper class, you know, wow. white card. Wow. And then at the bottom of the card, it says, uh, this card entitles the bear to all privileges of uh, a white person. And somebody actually used it to buy beer. What? <laughs> That's really funny. Identification. So, uh, because it looks very authentic, you know, we laminate it. So that's the card that they buy, and and I can't wait till someone is getting harassed by the cops or harassed by someone, and they pull out a white privilege card. No, it's okay, officer. I got a white privilege card, you know, and, and they actually videotape that. That would be wow. uh, that would be amazing. Okay. And we created a storefront with this project, and uh, it, so it looks like a store that sells white privilege, and in big wow. letters it says "Buy White Privilege." Wow. Uh, and it's completely like we had cops standing outside looking at this going, is this real? Like, yeah. you know, I don't know what to make. I can imagine. Yeah, I'm sure. The confusion. It's like you'd see, you know, if you go to a store at a mall, you know, the, the big window treatments that people paste the window that you can see. From, they, then they had different advertisements. Someone who looked like a cop or, you know, who's dressed up like a cop interacting with a young black man and they're and they're he's holding the card and he's smiling you know and it says don't worry so the idea is that you know with the white privilege card show it to the officer everything's okay and then we had another one uh where it was um a young black couple with a white realtor and the realtor was handing them the key to their new home and it said be happy and it was a big success did you have any people like protesting? Did you get any resistance while you were out well, there? Incident was it without incident? Not really. No, uh, we we didn't. But I, I so on the on the on my wall of my building a few weeks ago, I put up a mural, like a self. I, I did a like a self adhesive mural of a uh, unicorn. It's a, a pinata in the form of a unicorn, a corn, and I put it up to kind of celebrate the neighborhood, right? Something from the neighborhood that people in the neighborhood could just say, oh, wow, that's that's part of, of this place. And it just made people happy. And a woman came along and she started to tear it off the wall. She destroyed it. And so I called the cops and, and they brought her back. And I said, well, why'd you do that? She said, well, 
because you, you you know you're bringing white privilege to the neighborhood you know i saw the thing you did and you're you're trying to bring white privilege here and you know you had that poster of the man and woman and it looked like my husband and i and people thought it was it was us and they got angry at us and I explained, you got it completely wrong. And so we had a nice conversation. But, you know, that was the other side to it, is that it's open to misinterpretation. And she said she was so angry, she almost smashed my windows. Wow. Um, so uh, happy she didn't do that. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's a learning process. And, and one of the things about doing public art is that you do put it out in public. And there is this dialogue that happens. And it's a dialogue that I'm not in control of. Right. Yeah, we get that. So now I have a half torn down piñata and that's a new form of art, right? That that artwork is now made in dialogue with the community. And to me, it's equally interesting to the artwork that I put up. And people can write on it and they can spray paint it. They can tear it apart, but as long as they don't steal it, I can I can then take it off that wall. Now I can I can take work that was in New York that work that was in a public space in New York that has that commentary from people in New York, we're going to put it up in a new space. We, we can, you know, take work that was created in New York and put it in California mm-hmm. and recontextualize the, uh, the work through its display. So it's a new way of looking at art, you know, or, of creating, of, of displaying photography and then, and then repurposing it and using it in different ways. Yeah. So how do how how would we how would we get you to come to Norfolk? <laughs> I, I want a white privilege shop. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know what we I'm I'm uh, I mean what you know one of the challenges of doing this kind of work is finding funding. You know yeah. we're we're trying to find funding so we can take this project across the country. What I'd love to do is actually just uh, take an RV across the country and just go from place to place. You know, kind of almost like a band touring across the country. Uh, so who knows, you know, uh, uh, I've been putting off writing a proposal for this, but uh, I, it's something I need to do. Uh, so sounds like being an artist is writing proposals and artist statements and, yeah, you know. You do art with a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you, you party with a purpose in your own right, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> your traveling van. What is your biggest outside of the destruction of the art and things like that? What do you think is like your biggest, like I'm calling people to action. This is what I'm doing. This is what I want to see people do. Um, whether it's interacting with art or a specific issue that you have, what, what, what would be your call to action for people or that do one thing sort of deal? Well, I mean, I, at the bigger picture, uh, you know, I'm, I'm compelled to, to, you know, work towards greater social justice, right? So that's kind of my overarching guide as an artist. Um, but then within the art, like within the Neighbors Project, the goal is to bridge um, the gap that we as Americans have. Um, you know, it, there's this empathy gap where it's difficult for people in one place to empathize with people in another, with people of one ideology to empathize with people of a different ideology, you know, white people to empathize with black people and vice versa, you know, so to, uh, to connect people across their differences, that's, 
that's one of the, the big missions that I have uh, as an artist. And what's great about the Neighbors Project is that it does it in a way that's non-confrontational. So I can show that work anywhere in the country. And I've addressed a, a room filled with conservatives, you know, people who probably voted for Trump. And, and they're nodding their head, you know. So this liberal, like, they, they agree with this. And liberals are the same way. So uh, the Neighbors Project is really great because it does cut across uh, all the different boundaries. You know, but then I, I have the more radical side of me where I'm, I'm making these statements, calling out uh, social injustice, racism. And, of course, you know, that's tougher for uh, white people and especially conservatives to swallow. You know, so it's, uh, I don't know if there's necessarily one thing that I'm doing other than kind of the bigger purpose, which is, um, you know, bending the arc of morality towards uh, greater social justice. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing with us. Yeah. So at the end of every podcast, we do something that we call, so what, now what? Yeah. So it's kind of like the idea, like, why does this matter? What, why is this important? Why is this conversation important? And kind of like we leave our listeners with like, now what do we do? You know, where do we go from here? Um, And I'll go first. I think my, so what is that art has power? You know, there's a lot of power in art and creating conversation. Um, You know, I, I love that. I love thinking about what you're doing with your art and what it's, and it's starting sparking conversations, which is kind of similar to what we do. I would say my, now what is, people need to engage more in art. I think, you know, I love that. Cause I would say I'm not, I don't consume as much art as I could or should. And I love that. I love the idea of getting people to think critically think about art. Cause I think that's something I'm new to, you know, using art to critically think and then shape the way I see the world. Okay. You my turn. Yeah. Okay. So my, so what is, is that, so what we do know that we have differences and Actually, we do know the things that we need to do to kind of bridge those things. You you kind of brought it out. It's that empathy muscle. Right. Like that muscle has to be worked in order for it to, to be strong. Mm-hmm. So what the now what is, is that now, if you're listening, like you have another avenue to work that muscle. Mm-hmm. Definitely another avenue, whether it's through taking a look at what John is doing with his work or things that are similar. I mean, you just mentioned the, the great equalizer when it comes to um, social justice and just seeing outside of yourself. You were having this conversation the other day, Instagram and, yeah. and social media and using that as a means to work your, now work your empathy muscle, but then also figure out what that looks like in your life. For John, it's his art. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, it's a podcast. So what is that one thing for you that is going to allow you to exercise that muscle and create bridge the bridge divide? Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> How about you, John? You know, so what, uh, you know, I, I think, again, I think it's, it's relatively easy to create pretty art. And by relatively easy, it, it can be very, very difficult. But, um, you know, for me, these are issues that are important to me. Um, and so I just, just feel like I've got to speak out about them. Yeah. And, um, and the now what is I'm just going to keep doing it. You know, one of the things I'm really you know, trying to understand is gentrification. Yeah. And my role as a gentrifier Yes. Uh, you know? <laughs> I know. It's a hard, it's hard. I struggle with that myself. But being a white purchasing, you know, millennial, my husband and I talk about it all the time. How do we avoid it? How do we not be part of that process? Mm-hmm. It's well, a hard it, it is. And so I, there's a great book I'm uh, finishing up. It's called How to Kill a City. Mm. 
at the end of the day, it makes the point that gentrification happens because we value capital over the needs of capital over the needs of people. Mm. And if that sounds like basically what we've been doing for the past, you know, 40 years through government policies and, you know, what, what our, the current presidential administration and what the Republicans are doing. So gentr- now it, it, like gentrification is just part of kind of a much larger picture. And in that context, it makes it easier for me to understand and makes it easier for me to understand how I feel kind of like a small wave lapping against or you know hitting against the the beach i'm just the wave there was a wind there was a storm far out at sea that blew the water and mm-hmm. and and now i'm just the very end manifestation of these much larger forces mm-hmm. doesn't mean i'm excused from them but you know i'm i'm just sort of a, a bit player in that and so you know for me un, you know and this gets to the now what like to me understanding kind of the bigger picture, understanding these forces, understanding what white privilege is, it allows me to act in a way that's conscious and may not be perfect, but allows me to act in ways that I think will improve the social good and and make a difference um, over the long run. Mm, Uh, Love it. So, yeah. Look at you. Thank you. Look at you all grown up and stuff, John. I believe me, I've squandered a lot of time, but, uh, you know, it's it, interesting for me. I read this book and they talked about how, uh, you know, there's redlining, which we talked about earlier, but also real estate agents by, I, I forget, whatever their governing board was, were, were not allowed to sell, to sell a, a, a property to a black person in a white neighborhood like that. They were not allowed to do that. Yeah. I think um, that is so crazy. Well, this this is the way, and then combined with the fact that black people couldn't get loans, you know, know, but, but, and I was thinking, so my father is, uh, he's, he's darker skinned. He's uh, from New Mexico and, and, uh, you know, of Mexican American descent. And, um, and I thought, well, how did he move to the suburbs, you know? Because my, my, uh, my, my mom and dad moved to the, to the suburbs, the white suburbs, before I was born, back in 1962. And then I, I was thinking about it, and I realized, you know what? My dad bought, or my, my parents bought the family house directly from the seller. They didn't go through a realtor. You know, I don't know the specifics, but it makes sense that like, oh, well, that's the only way that blacks and Jews could buy a home in a white neighborhood is by buying directly from the seller. Right. And I was reading about it in this book. And so then I was thinking about it afterward. And I'm like, huh, well, there's some family history that directly impacts me that is relevant to this. Um, Yeah, it sounds like you're getting closer to your own history, which is allowing you to kind of really have some real conversations around these specific issues. Yeah. yeah. That sounds yeah. so interesting. So yeah, you sounds, you know, it's funny because this is a conversation we have with people about just getting to know who you are so that you can be better, show up better in these conversations, no matter whether your, your people come from Europe or they come from Central America or whatever, just getting closer to that and understanding who you are so you can show up to these conversations, loving and under, knowing who you are. I think that can that can be a, a, a 
make a difference in the sense of sometimes we can't really appreciate. It's hard to really appreciate other people's cultures for what they are when you don't know your own, when you haven't gotten close to your own. And it, it sounds like you, 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 your story is like, I can have my past, my family history, but I also can acknowledge where I am on the lines of history and hold both of those and walk forward with them both in, in your yeah. hands, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm working on it. <laughs> hey, are we all? Yes. It sounds like it never stops. It never stops. We're grateful. Yeah. Thank to have you. had you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people find you? Where can they find you? Put all your... Well, uh, so my website is John mirelles.com that's m-i-r-e-l-e-s j-o-h-n m-i-r-e-l-e-s dot com and then uh my instagram is at john mirelles.com on instagram also uh uh at by white privilege if they want to follow the by white privilege oh, project they can go there and i'll let you in on a little secret too i have another one uh called uh instagram it's at hispano man oh. h-i-s P-A-N-O-M-A-N. And that's where I do, uh, I post my street uh, posting. Oh, um, yeah. So, you know, I, I have a whole project that I've been working on. It's completely unrelated to everything we talked about. Like, I eat, I have, my projects have projects. I have so many projects. The surface. Uh, you'd be amazed. But anyhow, they can check out the work there. So Awesome. So we appreciate you. And as we always say, stay open, stay curious, and make it a great day. Closer (laughs) to history. (laughs) Ooh, that was a good episode. Yes, it was. Oh, but we would love to give you more. Yes, we would. Like exclusive content, merch, all types of good learning tools. Absolutely. So you can head over to patreon.com slash your neighborhood and check out all our different tiers of giving, or you can just do a one-time donation on Patreon, Cash App, or Venmo at your neighborhood. 